Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get methodical. Bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monocle. Stopping the copyright police from pulling the wool on us. Painting and taking on all the plate to pay to troll. Document the ways that they aim to take control. Scrutinizing through their lies and make them fold. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get hurt. To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. One of the things that that always interests me uh, most about the internet is when it really enables something that is truly new and different and difficult or potentially impossible to have been done before. And one area where that's, I think, partially true is the domain of dynamic pricing. And I remember back in college learning about the idea of dynamic pricing, and I had an economics professor explaining how this was like the holy grail uh, because uh, you could solve one of the biggest pricing issues of all, which is that different buyers really have different demand curves. And the idea was that if you could do dynamic pricing perfectly, you could truly maximize your market by getting everyone the good at the price at which they are happy to pay for it, and which also maximizes your own sales. Uh, Without dynamic pricing, the theory goes, uh, some of your customers are getting too good of a deal. They'd be willing to pay much more, meaning you sort of left money on the table. And some people would pay a lower price, but a price that would be still be profitable, uh, but they don't pay it at the fixed price that you've set, leaving more money on the table and unsatisfied potential customers. Thus, in theory, dynamic pricing, matching the right price to each buyer, was seen as something of economic perfection. Of course, there's theory and there's reality, and the internet has allowed some testing of the theories of dynamic pricing, and it hasn't always gone smoothly. Uh, Perhaps most famously, uh, well, to me, I think it's probably more widely forgotten for lots of people who haven't been on the internet perhaps as long as I have. Uh, Back in the year 2000, Amazon began experimenting with what it called differential pricing, charging uh, prices based on consumer behavior. And when the news broke that some users suddenly discovered the price of DVDs and books dropped if they deleted their Amazon cookies and then revisited the same page, Uh, people freaked out and got very, very, very angry uh, to the point that Amazon promised refunds for everyone who had been a part of that experiment, as they called it. Now, other areas where dynamic pricing has been commonplace, such as airfare pricing, uh, generally seems to piss people off as well as they feel that Uh, There's something unfair when two people pay vastly different sums for the same basic product. These days, of course, dynamic pricing is found in lots of places, um, though with the recognition that it often pisses off users. Uh, Uber and Lyft famously, I think, got lots of people very angry with their surge pricing concepts. Uh, And when, when the roads got crowded and suddenly you would see a thing that said surge pricing and the price would go way up, Um, People got mad, and there were all these articles calling them out for it and people screaming about it. Lately, you don't hear quite as much about it, not not because it doesn't still happen, but I think those services have, um, you know, figured out to hide that away in the details. So they just show you the price that you're likely to pay rather than alerting you to that it's uh, a surge period or, or something along those lines. And these days, Amazon is still in the dynamic pricing business. It They're changing prices, sometimes multiple times per day, to try and maximize sales, though I don't think it still does any kind of behavioral-based pricing. 
Now, someone who has thought a lot about dynamic pricing is Alex Sharchis, who's the CEO and founder of Perfect Price, which is a company that helps other companies perfect uh, dynamic pricing plans. So, Alex, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Sure. So uh, since I know that many people, as I sort of described in the opening, have a negative gut reaction to the concept of dynamic pricing, let's start out with uh, the assumption that most people listening uh, to this may be angry with you and, and uh, give you a chance to defend yourself and the concept of dynamic pricing. It's funny. I, this is something that everybody talks about, whether I'm at a cocktail party talking about what I do for a living or <laughs> whether we're pitching a new customer, a big Fortune 500 company. Uh, and, and it's the, the, the social reaction or the societal reaction to dynamic pricing is, is a pretty visceral one. And I, I just see it differently. And so I can explain how I see it. But uh, maybe some people come around to seeing it that way and, and other people will still hate dynamic pricing. Uh, so there are areas where price is already dynamic, right? And we've accepted that. Airlines. My father used to joke that, still jokes, that computers were invented so no two people on the same flight paid the same amount of money. <laughs> um, there's you know, hotels, which are somewhat dynamic now. Um, and then there's commodities. There's, there's lots of places where the price moves and the, and the consumer or buyer of that expects it. There are places where the price moves and you don't expect it, like cars. You know, new cars right. lose value and... and, and they're dynamic, but you don't see that because you're negotiating with a salesperson. But they're, you know, the price that they're willing to take for that car changes depending on how in demand that car is and what time of year it is. So there are places where the, the pricing is dynamic, and, um, and society's accepted that. And there are other places where it's new, and Uber and Lyft and taxis are a great explanation. To me, whenever, whenever you have an actively dynamic market, the more transparent that is and the more, the, the, the more accurate that pricing is, the more liquid the market, the better for everyone. And so if you take Uber and Lyft, I was a super early user of Uber um, back, back literally when they launched, the day they launched. And uh, it was the sort of thing that in San Francisco, there were 1,200 taxi cabs. They were phenomenally expensive, cost about $70 to get to the airport from central San Francisco. Uh, and you couldn't get one. Like if you wanted to go to the airport at 5 o'clock on a weekday, forget about it. You just weren't going to the airport. Uh, or you had to book the cab in advance and hope they showed up. Uh, it was horribly inefficient, right? And so Uber created efficiency both by having 40,000 drivers on the roads of San Francisco uh, and also by having that afternoon when it's 5 p.m., they got more drivers out by paying them more. Now, funny story, they didn't actually, the drivers didn't know that early on. Now they do, but at the time, they just knew they were making money and they liked driving for Uber. Things have changed a bit in lots of respects, but, uh, but they got drivers out when you needed them. Mm -hmm. uh, and similarly, that Tuesday, you know, mid-morning lunch run, you know, 1130 when nobody was on the road, it was a lot cheaper than a taxi. Um, and even in San Francisco back then, you couldn't get a taxi, certainly not in certain neighborhoods yeah. that day. So, uh, so dynamic pricing is only part of that story. But I think when you step back and look at it as, is this improving liquidity? Is it, is it better reflecting what's going on in the market? it's almost always a good thing. We can, there are a bunch of examples one could fixate on, like hurricanes or gas pricing in, in a natural, disa natural disaster, where it might not be a good thing. But, uh, but overall, it's a good thing. Yeah, and, and, and that's, that's something that comes up, right? I mean, so like the, the, the hurricane stuff or whatever is, you know, people refer to like price gouging, right? I mean, so that, that's, that's the thing that really gets people upset when they feel that it's something, um, you know, that, that they consider to be... To be 
um, you know, it, it's the sense of unfairness. Right. I think that that comes into it. Like I agree from, from again from like a purely economic standpoint. Like you know, from an efficient market standpoint, there's all of these reasons why it makes sense and why like you know the whole concept of surge pricing is it is it's a supply and demand thing, right? You know, you have a lot of demand for people who want rides in order to. To meet that demand, to get the supply, there has to be an increase in price, and that brings out more drivers, and therefore more riders can actually get where they want to go. And so it all does make sense. Um, but you know, how do you deal with the the claims of of situations where you know where it could be seen as gouging in some sense? Well, <clears throat> so I, if you mean how do we deal with it as a company, uh, our software has ways for people to set limitations. I mean, this is a big thing. There are laws against price gouging in a lot of states. Mm -hmm. We have rental car customers who have rules in the system to make sure that they don't price gouge uh, because, uh, you know, AI doesn't know that it was a hurricane that, that caused a run on the cars. Um, <clears throat> I think I think they're great reasons from a brand perspective. People have different opinions about this, right? So some, some people will want to consistently offer a lower price to their loyal customers, right. even if that means half their customers can't get a car because they ran out of cars, right? right. Um, and, and so other, other companies like Uber, for example, they've, they've always viewed from the very beginning that having a car available was a part of the product. Right. That they had failed their customer if they couldn't get a car. Now, if they had to pay $200 for that car, at least they got a car. Um, and so, you know, is it, I remember there were a bunch of tweets early in Uber's life about a, a lot of angry VCs that paid $200 yeah. for, a, for a, an Uber on New Year's Eve. And yep. that's a choice, right? I mean, you yeah. could have walked, you could have yep. waited for a, ta a taxi. Uh, and so, uh, so anyway, so I, I mean, I think there are ways to avoid price gouging, but <clears throat> to me, price gouging is really only applicable where you're in a market where the user doesn't, the, the customer or consumer does not have a choice. Right. And, and I mean, I guess, you know, some of this too is, is the sort of psychological aspect of it, right? Like I, I can think rationally and logically about, you know, uh, about the economics of all of this and, and that makes sense. But then there's still the sort of gut reaction, which is the same thing of like, you know, the, you know, it, it, it feels kind of silly, but I remember those articles or, or, you know, social media posts about, you know, VCs complaining about $200 New Year's Eve Uber rides. Um, but like, but you, you still understand the gut reaction aspect to it. And, and so like one of the things that you mentioned early on, you sort of talked about transparency, right? But, but this is, this is a weird one. Like, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Mr. Transparency. Like I talk about transparency in all different kinds of markets and all different kinds of spaces, because I think that is a really important thing. But this is a market where I actually feel like, transparency seems to be part of the part that pisses people off. I mean, I talked about how like Uber and Lyft now kind of have hidden the surge pricing concept. I mean, you'll see the prices. And so if you have a sense of how much this ride normally costs, you might be able to tell that surge, you know, some sort of surge is, is in effect. But if you don't, you don't really know. Um, and so they've sort of taken care of a lot of the complaining um, by by effectively hiding the the dynamic pricing nature of it. Uh, I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna answer my own question here in a second. I guess the one difference that they've done though um, from from the early days is that you didn't know how much your eventual ride was going to be. Now you actually put in your destination. In the early days, you just called the car, uh, told them where to go, and then you sort of got hit with your price at the end. Um, yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> there are a couple things in there that are really interesting, right? There was an, there was a stand up act uh, years ago, maybe ten or fifteen years ago, that always stuck with me. 
where uh, I can't remember which comedian it was, but he mm-hmm. said, you know, JF New York City has just implemented a new uh, pricing policy for passengers arriving at JFK. You can get a taxi to and from Manhattan from JFK for forty dollars, but if you don't speak English, it's still two hundred. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, I think I think part of it is that transparency, right? You can right. go to Thailand, you know, Bangkok, open the Uber app and know that you're paying, a, you know, what is the market price? Now, is it surge pricing? Is it not surge pricing? But right. at least you get that transparency up front, whereas before you get on a taxi in New York or worse, Washington, D.C., like, who yeah. knows what you're going to end up paying? Um, so that's that's a, there's a part of it that's just the upfront, the ability to use what they use, which is machine learning and AI, same as us, to predict what that ride is going to cost you and make it worthwhile. Um, you know, the other side of this we're not talking about is paying paying the other side of the market, right? Paying the drivers, which is a different different right. subject, but very similar science. But uh, but you know, there's this other component, right, of uh, you know, of fairness that you talk about, like, is it fair for that VC to pay $200? And the reality is, if the VC was really a baller, they would hire a driver. And that driver has a three hour minimum, and he costs 100 bucks an hour. And so taking that trip, even though it was only 20 minutes, would have set him back 300 bucks. Right? So Uber is still more efficient uh, with a dynamic price than it than this sort of illiquid, old fashioned way of doing business. There's a there's another example that that is just for me, something that still profoundly bothers me, and that's that's ticket prices for events, sure, especially yeah. and so music, sports, especially sports, right? So if you go to you, know, you want to go to Fenway and see the Red Sox, forget about it. Like unless you already have season tickets, you're not going to get right. to go. Uh, maybe you can buy them on StubHub or something, right? But you know, ninety nine point eight percent renewal rate. You like they're dead people with bank accounts just so they don't give <laughs> up their season tickets. Right. But, and so if you, you know, even if you could buy a ticket at the box office, which I think they have a few available, they sell it really quickly. And it's, I think last time I checked, it was night, you know, to take a family of four and sit in the bleachers was still several hundred dollars yeah. before you ate anything. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, and to have season tickets, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta buy for 81 games. There's no like smaller packages, right? You go to the A's or some teams that aren't as popular, have bigger stadiums, aren't doing as well, right? You might get some flexibility. You can buy a few games, right? But the whole thing is so ridiculously liquid. I don't know who has time to go to 81 games. Right. Um, and if you if you could dynamically price, I mean, one could, right? If you yeah. were willing to dynamically price those games, you would have some games, some seats, not as popular. Maybe it's a little bit less than the $90 or $100 a ticket. And you'd, you'd have some people willing to pay a lot more because they're you know playing the Yankees or something. And it's it's a big game or somebody's pitching, right? And that, that drives a higher price. In the end, the Red Sox make money, probably more money. And you've opened the market up to people who can't afford the tens of thousands of dollars to have a season ticket license. But, you know, would really want to go see that one game that may or may not be a popular game anyway. Um, and, you know, there are probably we could talk about why that sort of has evolved into that kind of a, a market environment. It does serve some people that way. But but it's it's one of these misconceptions that, you know, dynamic pricing means it costs more. Right. I would argue for sports and events, it would actually cost a lot less if you dynamically price them. Well, it, it, it depends is, is, is the, the reality, right? And they do, you know, I mean, baseball teams now, you know, um, they've been doing dynamic pricing for about a decade, I think, um, you know, most teams in some form or another, and they've, they've experimented with a bunch of different things. Um, you know, the, the really popular teams obviously, you know, are, are generally sold out. So there's, there's not an issue there, but like, you know, the, the, the giants and the A's here, they do 
dynamic pricing. It does depend on who you who you're playing against. And generally speaking, then the you know the tickets for the games that people do really want to see, you know, they, those those are much higher. Uh, and and you know the 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 normal economics response to that is like, well, duh, right? You know, more people want to go, the price is going to go up. You know, if they kept it all the same, then you'd have scalpers buy up all the tickets and resell them for higher prices anyways, right? Which is which is the situation that you do get with, with uh, like, concert pricing. Right, and, and baseball. I mean, baseball, yeah. lots of other sports as well, especially sports where there aren't that many games, right? Football, yeah. where you only have a handful of home games. You get that as well. Yeah, but so so... You know, so I think, you know, the reality is that most people still feel like with dynamic pricing that the pricing goes up or conversely, they feel that that there's some sort of unfairness, right? Because somebody else was able to get seats for for much less um, than they paid. Yeah. So (laughs) pricing is always, I think, the fundamentals. There is this fundamental conception of fairness Mm -hmm. or concept of fairness, which I think was in stark relief when the myelin pharmaceutical thing happened where yeah had made it from fifty dollars to six hundred per dose and, and they bundled them so you could only buy two at a time right uh you know to theoretically justify the higher price um so i mean that's one where that's something that people have to have right there wasn't a second provider yeah the, the actual the actual medicine in the epipen hadn't it was invented in like the 30s or something. Yeah. I mean, it was, you could buy it if you were a doctor, you could buy it and, you know, in a bottle for something like $5 per bottle, right? Which was a hundred times more than was in the pens. Uh, yeah. So, you know, there's a lot going on there. Well, that's, but see, but that's, I mean, that's not like a dynamic pricing issue so much as that's a monopoly pricing issue, right? I mean, you know, even though it was an old thing, you really had just sort of a single supplier and they sort of recognized as the monopoly supplier, they could jack up rates and then of course when you're dealing with like healthcare and medicine you have all the 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 intermediaries that you're dealing with in terms of you know insurance companies and and hospitals and stuff like that so i I don't know if that's exactly a dynamic pricing no it it isn't i think i bring it up as a fair as an extreme example right like nobody i I mean other than the guy who went to jail shakas really nobody's out there saying oh this is totally the right thing to do you know i mean Charge, charge kids who are allergic to peanuts uh, right. <laughs> $600 to survive. But even though it's cheaper than an ER visit is not, is not something that, uh, that I think makes any economic sense or social sense. But so when you talk about dynamic pricing and fairness, though, I think that applies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what people don't realize is that not dynamic pricing is almost as unfair as dynamic pricing, right? So take yeah. cars, for example, right? I think everybody, many people would agree that the process of buying a car is new or used mm-hmm. is extremely opaque and really unpleasant. Yes. Um, and, and not, you know, obviously opaque being the opposite to transparent and, and yet you're being dynamically priced, right? So that's more of a personalized dynamic price where, Oh, this guy's yeah. wearing a nice watch, right? He came in here at 2 PM on a Tuesday. So he probably, you know, I mean, whatever, however that salesperson wants to sign, size you up, they're making judgments about what they can, what they, how much margin they think they can get it from you and the car manufacturers we've talked to a lot of them like they want to get away from selling cars with salespeople. many of them already have where the salespeople don't actually have any control over price but what that means is especially if you want to get into this you talked about the internet into a digital age where you can buy the car online uh you need to set the right price right if yes. you've overpriced the car uh then it's not going to sell either people are going to buy a car like it from another manufacturer or they're they're going to just not buy it um and then you're going to have more and more pile up. And cars are fairly large. They take up a lot of space, 
you know, at some point you got to get them off the lot because the factory is spitting out new ones. Um, and so, uh, so dynamic pricing there is, I mean, it's not moving every minute or every second like Uber and Lyft do, but it's, it's the same principle, right? The more, the better the dynamic price, the fairer it is to the customer. Yeah. Right? And, um, and, and if the company is essentially forcing itself or forced by the market to put an upfront no haggle price like CarMax, I mean, other people are doing this now. That makes the, the customer feel like, okay, you're giving me the best price you can. And I, I don't feel like I have to wait a week or go call four other dealers or, or do a lot of homework to, to be sure that you're giving me the, a fair price. Um, by having that transparent, somewhat dynamic price, you solve that, that fairness question. Yeah. And I, I think that that is a, a good point. And there is the, um, you know, the, the sort of counter argument where if not counter argument, but but a, another argument along those lines that, you know, if dynamic pricing allows people to, to get stuff that they wouldn't otherwise get, then that that is a that is a benefit, right? Well, I mean, yeah, Uber is a great example of that. I would yeah. not, I, I live, you know, I live in Oakland, and I go to go to BART, taking a taxi to BART, Mm-hmm. I grew up here. It was not an option. Nobody did that. It was like $15. <laughs> right. You'd have to call them. They might show up. They might not show up. Right. I mean, it was at least $15. It yeah. was usually decrepit and a car you wouldn't want to start your day in. Right <laughs> now in Uber, it's a BART. I mean, if you do Uber pool or, or Lyft line is four bucks. Yeah. It's cheaper than the bus. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, in terms of it's more expensive if it's raining than 5 p.m. But the vast majority of the time, uh, it's, you know, it's just a much more yeah no i I think that's true like that is an example where like like uber and lyft like yeah i mean i i've been in the bay area for for 22 years now and you know the the first 15 of those uh maybe more i i think i i could count on one hand the number of times i got into a taxi um because it just was not efficient whereas now you know with uber and lyft you know it's it's it is much cheaper and so much more convenient and and that is sort of uh, in part due to the due to the uh, the nature of dynamic pricing, so um, you know one of the things that I think also is is interesting about this, and like you know I talked about Amazon and Amazon's experiment from twenty years ago that got people all up in arms but but nowadays, like you know the pricing on Amazon shifts like every few minutes as far as I can tell like so what's what's going on there what what is the deal with with sort of uh, shopping, e-commerce, and, and sort of constant price shifting. Yeah, every industry has its own strategies. And usually you have, not in all industries, but in many, you have one price leader, and Amazon happens to be it for a lot of online things that are sold online. And really, uh, so they have a fairly, Jeff Bezos has articulated their overall strategy, which is doing best for the consumer. Right. Uh, and so... Uh, it's tempting to think, oh, they're constantly looking for opportunities to jack the price up and make more margin, but they're not. Uh, other people do that, but they don't. And I think so. W- a major driver for their price strategy is they always want to be uh, the best price, or at least be perceived as do their best, be perceived uh-huh. as being the best price, because they want you to be able to go to Amazon, you know, and just buy the thing and not think about it, right? I mean, if you go to CarMax and buy the car. But you know you got the best price CarMax is going to give you. Right. Um, you go to Amazon. You don't have to go check Target and Walmart, three other places, to feel like yeah. you paid a fair price. Well, I mean, they 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 were close to getting in trouble for that because they were signing deals with with suppliers that said you had to give your your best price to Amazon and you couldn't price it lower anywhere else. Which but those was, yeah those deals some, 
always existed. Yeah. So but, those but, deals but, have always existed. Yeah, but but Amazon has now backed away from that. I think they realized that they were probably going to get hit with an antitrust claim on it. So they, they dropped that that requirement for sellers. Well, we, uh, we talked to a retailer, like a very old retailer, uh, that, um, that, that basically he was really afraid of that. You know, they were uh-huh. really afraid of, oh, if we go to our suppliers and say, why are you giving this competitor of ours a better price will get in trouble for antitrust. But the reality is that that I, I would put that retailer going bankrupt in five to ten years tops <laughs> because they're just shedding market share to Amazon, right? If right. you if you're a supplier and if if, if you're a supplier and you're you, you have a, what's called a minimum advertised price a policy a, a MAP and other, somebody else other than Amazon is selling that product for below Amazon's cost. They will. They will just stop doing business with you. They'll. They'll say you got. You know, a week to figure this out. You're off Amazon. We're not selling your stuff until you huh. clean up your channels. Because I mean, you know, B and H is a great example, right? Like B and H, the photos, the video yeah. photo and video store in New York. Like they're constantly buying gray market goods from Latin America. That's the same Nikon lens, re-importing it to the U.S. and selling it for a couple hundred bucks less. And you know, in that case, at least there's some meaningful difference like it doesn't have a warranty or something but but if it's the same nikon lens and you could buy it for less on bnh or wherever than amazon the internet being what it is people just go buy it somewhere else and so i mean what we've talked to we've helped some companies fix this on the company side on the brand side nikon in this example although not them specifically right and it's just in in my view it's just poor pricing strategy you're just doing a bad job of managing your company like it you may seem like a good job because you've got one channel that's selling stuff off the you know going going crazy and beating all your estimates but fundamentally if if you're trying to if you're trying to build a brand and um and uh, across all of your channels you can't have one channel that gets a huge discount um so so with amazon with amazon specifically they have you know very clear guidelines for their team and, and, and online. And I, I mean, honestly, it's way better than if you let other people do it. So the big example was that Apple Books lawsuit where Apple got yep. hit with an antitrust fine uh, and all the book publishers got hit. Somehow that pricing didn't change, though. They stayed with the agency model. Right. right? Amazon was happy to charge you less than $10 for a book uh, because that would, that, would drive, that would drive sales of Kindle. That would improve you know, they, they did the math and for whatever reason they could make the math work, right? And they just paid the, they paid the, the publisher 12 bucks, right? They took a loss on the book because they knew, you know, I guess they'd make it up in volume, right? And so, we, and just, just for our listeners who don't remember kind of what happened there, right? So the deal was that like the entire ebook market for the longest time was, was Amazon and Kindle. And, and originally every book that you bought on Kindle was nine ninety nine. Like that was just a, the price, no matter what the publisher wanted to charge. Uh, the consumer pricing was nine ninety nine, and and Amazon just sort of dealt with it on the other end. Um, whereas then Apple came in the market and and set up uh, a, a different model where the publisher gets to set the pricing. Uh, right, the agency model is what it's right. called. Uh, yeah, how it had always worked in the past, and and so the publishers, I mean, frankly, they're just not that smart. Like they don't understand right. the so they just they're very old school companies. I think they're all within a few blocks of each other in New York. They've yep. been brought in on racketeering or, uh, you know, price gouging or price yep. fixing several times over the course of their long history. 
in their view, you know, they, they, they weren't competing on price. They were competing on other things. So it was okay to get into a dark, smoky room and just decide right. that all, all hardcover books are going to be $25. Right. But, uh, but the reality is that they just they don't know the data, right? And so, like, you can go on Amazon and you can pay $15 for this Kindle book or you can pay $2 for a used one. Right. And, and, I mean, it just it makes it, – they don't realize how much it's hurting them. And, the, and uh, we, we spoke with one who I won't name, but – you know, they were like, "Oh, our, our our ebook sales are flat," and it's like, "Really? How many iPads have been sold? Right? How many Kindles? Like, like how how are you okay with that? Like, obviously, something is wrong if your right. ebook sales are flat, and 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 that something is your pricing right. <laughs> or or your content. I mean, yeah, right. and at some point you go to, I mean, I you know, you could pull up Amazon right now and just look for a popular title, and I would bet you you can buy it for much less used than right. you could." Uh, you know, for the zero marginal cost ebook, right? And 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 the ebook, you, you can't they can't resell that used, right? You sell that once, yep. that person isn't like putting it, sending it to Goodwill to have it go back out again a month later after they read it. And so, I, I just think that that uh, whether it's a data thing, whether it's just a mindset thing, you know, those people haven't gotten it. And it's, I mean, going back to the fairness thing, like, is that is it is that fair to the consumer that? You know, the more convenient for some option is arbitrarily highly priced. Right. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. It, it is. It is. Yeah. I think that's that's just sort of the nature of kind of a legacy industry that that uh, has never really understood the, the the market side because they never needed to. Um, and of course, you know, it's funny that that you know when 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 Apple got in trouble for antitrust on that. Um, the publishers freaked out. And they're like, "Well, why isn't it Amazon that's getting getting the antitrust trouble?" And it was like, "They weren't the ones doing the price fixing. <laughs> you guys were." <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's the same. You know, it's no different, to be honest, than Uber subsidizing your rides, right? I mean, yeah. I, I can't remember the last quarter, but it was somewhere around a billion dollars of yeah. subsidies that they paid to drivers that they did not collect from consumers. And so, is that unfair? Like, I don't know. I think all these people complaining about dynamic pricing should be thinking. The wonderful investors in Amazon for giving the free rides, um, <laughs> right? To, for paying for their rides to some extent, yeah. <laughs> um, but but then you know there are other stories of like dynamic pricing on Amazon. Like there was the famous story. I don't remember even how many years ago this was. Where like I, I guess now like sellers on Amazon can sort of set up tools and bots that that do some of the pricing for them. I don't know if that's the kind of stuff that you do, but like. Um, you know, there was the one story of like these two books that I guess they sort of each individually had set them to key off of the other one. And somehow it, it sort of set off a, a kind of infinite loop where they each kept raising the price because they each wanted to price each other like, you know, five cents higher than the other. And so these two like random books that, you know, were not very popular at some point got priced like over a million dollars or something crazy like that. I don't remember the exact numbers and details. Um, yeah. Just, I it, I mean, we, I got a screenshot once of um, a, a sewing, like a knitting needle on, I think, the Sears website that it somehow managed to be $127,000. <laughs> and, and you could go find it elsewhere for like 59 cents. Right. Yeah. Um, so the, there are there are sort of mistakes there. But, but part of what I do wonder is like, you know, more specifically with like the Amazon pricing where like, you know, it shifts like, you know, day by day. And, I, and I'm and I'm wondering, like, what is driving that pricing? Do, do, do you have any sense of, you know, what is driving the, the, the changes in the 
you know, on a daily basis. Like I just bought something on Amazon the other day that I had, you know, I think I'd put it in my cart like a week earlier, or put it on a wish list and said, ah, oh, you know, I don't need it yet, but I'll get it. And I came back and it was like, it's now 47 cents cheaper. And I was like, well, that's great. But like, why? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good question. I think it really depends on the, on the item or the category of item. Uh-huh. I mean, one could go pretty deep down this rabbit hole, but, but essentially you have third party sellers. So if it's coming from third party sellers, they, we don't do this, but there is software that they use mm-hmm. to try and gain the system and, and be the one in the buy box that they can buy. If Amazon sells the same product, they're part of that game too. So sometimes if somebody's selling it for less margin than they want, they'll let them sell it. It's like, great. If you want to lose money on this, fine. Um, and at other times, uh, other times, you know, they'll, they'll be in the buy box for, for whatever shipping or other reasons. Um, then, you know, some of it is demand-based. So, <laughs> you know, depending on the product, you might have seasonal demand or supply constraints. So it's, I mean, it's funny though. It's not like, it's not like anybody can sell you for whatever reason, Amazon or Walmart for, for that matter, uh, will never jack up the price on a popular Christmas toy above MSRP. Right. Like they just don't do that. And uh, a good friend of mine was the CTO of Walmart.com, and he, they used to joke at Walmart that they were like the supply room for eBay at the holidays because people <laughs> would just go to Walmart, buy right. all of the popular toys that were going to sell out and obviously made that happen faster and then relist them on eBay for twice as much. Yeah, um, it's just and, ar- arbitrage in action. Yeah. yeah, and so, I mean, this happened with uh, with Xboxes, I believe, when the new, I don't know if it was the Xbox 360 or the new Xbox One came out, but... Somebody had only one of, I think Amazon was the only one who had it on launch day or for whatever reason. And, um, and so they sold that in seconds because, you know, people mopped them all up and then turned around and put them on eBay. Uh, and when the next, when the next shipment came in, they, they kind of had the same model and they didn't sell very many because everybody else matched the price. Hmm. Um, and, it, you know, people just went to their, their preferred retailer and, and there wasn't such a dramatic swing. So... Anyway, getting back to your question, it really depends on the product. Um, either they're matching a price somewhere else, if it's available somewhere else that they care about, like a Walmart, uh, mm-hmm. or uh, it's a third-party seller and there's a bunch of gamesmanship with third-party sellers trying to you know trying to get you to buy it from them and not from one of the other 50 third-party sellers, uh, or um, or you know for in some cases it is actually demand-based, like you know something is right. a cyclical demand. And I mean, I I, I for one. You know, my wife bought like a shoulder massager, which was amazing. And it's, you know, one of these off-brand, like one of those non-brand brands that has like a lot of reviews and is, right. is really great, but like you've never heard of it than right. anything else. And uh, and so she bought it and it was like 25 bucks. And Father's Day was kind of a few weeks away. And so Father's Day is kind of approaching. I'm like, oh, I should get this thing for my dad. That'd be perfect, right? It was 50 bucks. You know, and it, I was like, yeah, I remember distinctly this being twenty five dollars, right, right. And I still bought it. I was like, ah, you know, yeah. it's Father's Day; it's worth fifty bucks, right? Yeah. And, and when you think about the margin for the person selling it, like that's, you know, that they made they made probably three times more money selling it to me than they did selling it to my wife the first time. So, yeah. Um, and so, you know, it, it varies. It depends. That might have been a third-party seller. I doubt that was Amazon. Uh, but I think the other side of dynamic pricing, which we haven't really touched on, is promotions, right? Yeah, so, so let's talk know, about that. Well, that and that's like, you know, that's the thing, right? It's sort of like if, if Uber, if Travis, you know, bless him for coming up with this idea, but wouldn't it have been nice if it was like all about discounting every day <laughs> and the right. surge, you know, is the opposite of surge pricing. Like, oh, yeah. it's $200 on New Year's Eve, but for you on Tuesday afternoon, it's 94% off, right? Right. You know, how affordable is that? And I think 
I think I think that's where a lot of pricing, um, dynamic like dynamic pricing, ends up working itself out. Whether so, it's, so is that I mean is that happening now? I mean, I you see like sales and stuff now, but you're talking about something a little bit more advanced than that, right? No, I, I mean it's it's both, right? So I think it's it's partially how you execute it. Uh-huh. Um, so one thing that's always really shocked me is that how you know Gap or any sort of national retailer, uh, you know, put all the swimsuits on sale. Uh, towards the end of the summer, right around now, right? All these right. suits are on sale because the summer's over. I'm pretty sure it's still going to be swimming weather in Florida for the next <laughs> 12 months. Right. Right. So, like, why are they on sale in Florida? Just explain that one to me. Like, if you're in Florida and need a swimsuit, like, you need it arguably more now that it's cooled off a little bit right. than you did in, in June. Uh, and so, uh, but so I think, I think that, you know, the interesting thing about dynamic pricing when it comes to promotions and, and, and whether that's clearing out inventory or whether that's just, you know, matching, it's still matching supply and demand. Um, from a science standpoint, it's a little bit noisier because you might send an email, you know, the messaging might matter. How many people got the email might matter, right? In a way that when you just open the Uber app and see 1950, make a decision about whether you want to pay 1950, it's a different thing. Um, but, but those, you know, those promotions for areas where people are not comfortable with this notion of infinite, you know, infinite possibility for prices mm-hmm. um, gives a, a, a seller the ability to match the market price without, you know, without like making it look like a dynamic price. So, I mean, don't kid yourself. Like when you see GMC offers $10,000 off on their trucks, like they're not doing that because they're really nice people and they want right. Trump to win re-election. <laughs> like they're doing that because people aren't buying their trucks at full price. Right. And they need to sell trucks because they're making more of them. Um, and it's still profitable for them, you know. I mean, when you get into manufacturing, the profit calculations are extremely hard to make. But uh, you know, they think it's they'd rather sell the truck for ten thousand dollars less than their MSRP yeah. than have it sit there for another month. Yeah, um, of course. And so, and so, what what other areas do you think are uh, you know is dynamic pricing already in that we people don't think about, or or where do you think it's what other areas do you think it's going into that, that people that might surprise people? Yeah, I mean, so I think it's, I think where you have, so there's a, there's a lot of places where it, either it's in, and it, so there's a big difference between what we do, which is AI dynamic pricing, mm-hmm. and what I would call like traditional prices that change a lot, right? <laughs> right. Call that, right. I mean, so, you know, everybody, if you go to Cancun, if you go to Open Expedia, look at Cancun, every rental car company is a dollar a day except for Avis, uh-huh. which is probably in the 20s. Um, and if you get there, you will not get a car for a dollar a day. You will have to go uh, pay for $40 worth of insurance. And you'll be <laughs> paying $50 a day. It probably should be. Um, but, uh, but I think what's – so I, I bring that up because, like, rental cars are a great example of a market that everybody's always thought uh-huh. is a dynamic, dynamically priced market. And, uh, and that's an area where we've had a lot of success. And that's because the, the AI world that Uber and Lyft – deal with like do um, is really based on demand and it's not just what are they doing what are they it's like everybody I have a presentation I gave when we were pitching this company which was a kid looking at the test of the person sitting at the desk next to him mm-hmm. and just cheating off of their paper and so a lot of companies especially ones that are smaller mid-size who lack the ability to do the science just figure well Avis probably did the science so we'll just do what they're doing <laughs> right. um, Right. And that's just all we need to do is do exactly what Hertz, Avis and, and National are doing. And like, we'll be fine. Um, and uh, and so AI, what AI does is it gives you uh, a smaller company uh, or a larger company. I mean, 
I think we could run circles around some of the legacy vendors out there. Um, the ability to actually, you know, price using those demand signals that are what's causing that Uber price to move around a bunch in the app. And so, so when you think about what industries is this is this impacting or going to impact? I mean, I, I would say with a few notable exceptions, if we were having this conversation in 2035, reflecting back on 2019, it, most of us would be like, well, if, I mean, why didn't they dynamic price whatever this thing is? Right. Like, you know, what idiots? How could they do that? Like, why wouldn't you? I mean, in, you know, in 1999, I mean, there's another great pricing story about Coca-Cola trying to have a dynamically priced vending machine. So folks right. were more expensive on hot day. Didn't, it didn't go over well. No. Uh, but, you know, in 1999, like this idea of selling stuff on the Internet was still pretty novel. Like, yeah. why would you do that? You know, and obviously in 2019, it's like, why would you not do that? You know, how, like... And so I think with dynamic pricing, it's one of those similar things. There are probably going to be things that are slower to accept it. Some groceries. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I was telling uh, one of the people on the team that I just really don't think anybody's going to ever dynamically price their daily cup of coffee. You know, at Starbucks or Dunkin' right. or whatever. But there's a public company in China that actually does just that. Luck huh. Coffee that has dynamically priced coffee. Uh, and it makes sense, right? Like you could get a coffee at eight when there's a huge line, or you could maybe go in at nine thirty when the lines died down. Right. And you know they have more capacity. Why not make your coffee thirty cents cheaper, um, so that you know so that they can smooth out their operations a, a bit. Um, so you know I think one of the areas that started dynamic pricing, but it's really early stage, is is toll roads. Yep. Um, so you know right, and, and I say that kind of like the price gouging thing. You know, the Lexus lanes, as they're called in Southern California, like they're never really that expensive. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you could see a, you could see a world where, yeah, if you want to if you want to commute in, commute in and to San Francisco over the Bay Bridge at exactly eight o'clock in the morning, it's going to be 20 bucks or 30 bucks. Um, right. And uh, at, rather than, you know, and, and, and that could spread the commute out that could encourage people to. Uh, you know, to change their entire commuting patterns. It, it, I think, already has, to a certain extent. The traffic has changed people's working patterns. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the con the concern there goes back to some of the same concerns we had at the beginning, right? I and mean, people say, well, you know, people who are more well-off or wealthy who, who well, can, you know, maybe change their working hours uh, can, can deal with that or who can afford that can deal with that, whereas people who are not in a position to, to change their working hours and are forced to commute during the worst times um, and maybe, you know, yeah, but that, then you're, I think I think to say that's a reason not to do it is to grossly underestimate humans, right? I mean, <laughs> if, you're, if you're a contractor or, a, you know, somebody, a contractor is just one example, but if you're, if you're somebody who, who works for the, the so-called man and has to commute in and now that commute costs you 20 bucks like you're gonna you, there's short-term and long-term price elasticity right mm -hmm. and the same is true of the job market so if working in san francisco costs you 20 bucks more you're gonna find a job in oakland right if you have to right. go over the bridge and all of a sudden that job in oakland is you know several hundred dollars a month more valuable to you uh and the san francisco one's got to pay you more i mean it's already true that the same work uh in different markets costs more or less i mean sure. the people that uh you know, that, that, uh, so I was talking to somebody in Maryland who was saying that if you're in the DC suburbs, you can hire a Baltimore contractor, they'll charge you their $50 an hour rate to drive to Bethesda, but then they only charge you $50 an hour. If you charge, if you hire somebody in Bethesda, they'll charge you a hundred bucks an hour. Right. right. So, so, I mean, the market, I think, I think to say, oh, we need to protect, you know, the working class from 
the market is to underestimate humans and the fact that you know there uh, maybe there's some exceptions uh, but in general the market will adapt and it already has to a certain extent i mean the rush hour when i was growing up here was was really like an hour it was really mm-hmm. like 7 30 to 8 30 right and now if you're not on the bridge by 5 30 in the morning uh, <laughs> uh you you you're not you're the traffic never stops like it doesn't you know I've, i tried to go to a meeting at noon and i sat in an hour with the traffic so um you know i mean there's no there, there is no flexibility and i mean we're subsidizing in the bridge in this case i'll pick on the example right like the Bay Bridge, we just invested a fortune in a new one. Right. And that was only half of the bridge. We got to do the other half. <laughs> right. Right. And so am I like, are all the taxpayers going to have to take out a big loan to do that? Or can we just charge the people who are using it a little bit more? Yeah. And if, if that trickles, you know, it trickles down is, is a loaded word. But if, if that means that the people who want to build buildings or employ people in San Francisco who don't live in San Francisco, because there's great affordability issues there as well, um, need to pay their employees more, their workers more to make that drive. I mean, that's a cost. Right? Right. Is that is that not a more efficient market? So anyway, I mean, I'm not saying that that's um, necessarily where things are going to go, but I think that, and that's like an obviously a very high profile example, but there are toll roads everywhere, yeah. right? And um, and and demand varies. And so by, by being able to dynamically price them, Australia has done this to great effect where they change the, the cost of driving on the road. They also change the speed limit to reduce accidents. So if it's really busy, they'll lower the speed limit, mm-hmm. um, thinking it's better that everybody just goes 30 kilometers an hour or whatever, 40 kilometers an hour, uh, which is like 20, yeah. you know, really crowded freeway and not get in accidents. Then everybody gets to go 60 and we have an accident every second, every other day. Um, so, uh, so anyway, I mean, I think, I think that that, you know, there are a lot of different opportunities, whether it's, uh, it, part of it is really determined by fairness, and I would, you know, fairness is really defined on the actual sort of practical level of what are what are consumers or buyers willing to put up with. I would say the other area that this is going to be that's going to get really interesting is is really around B two B sales. So I think people are becoming with Amazon and Uber and everything else a lot less patient in their work. Where you ask, you know, you talk to a salesperson like who wants to talk to a salesperson, uh, and then they put together a quote. Who wants to wait three days for a quote? Um, and some of that, you know, depending on the industry is necessary, but a lot of it is them sizing you up like you do at a used car dealer. How much is this person willing to pay? How much, how much margin do you think we can get away with? And, um, you know, especially for things that are more routine uh, and, and predictable where supply constraint is an issue, like if that, if that happened to be a dynamically priced thing, that would make the, that would make the world a more efficient place as well. Yeah. And, and I mean, a lot of this is sort of, you know, economics 101, right? I mean, pricing, you know, you know, there, there is efficiency in, in, in pricing and dynamic markets just in general, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the point <laughs> uh, if, if you believe in that, right? And there are, there are certainly externalities and, and, you know, I don't think, I don't think anyone believes that like, you know, pure, you know, pure market theory actually plays out in reality. But 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 there is a there is significant truth behind the way markets work. And the reason that that, um, you know, allowing markets to function often leads to to better overall, more efficient solutions, as long as people are aware of the possible externalities and also are able to price in certain other things, including sort of, you know, um, fairness uh, as a concept, you know, does come into 
I, I think you know some people get too focused on on the 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 basic economics ignores that things and and that's when you get cases like the six hundred dollar EpiPen, um, you know, and 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 they don't price in the the outrage, which is a cost, <laughs> you know, um, and so you know. But I, I think the larger point that you're making is that when you have a more efficient market, um, it, it tends to be better overall, and that that when you have an inefficient market. Um, that is, is done by sort of you know controlling pricing in some sense or another, or not doing it as as efficiently as you can. Then it leads to other kinds of externalities that are often not seen but are are very damaging. And I think I think that's kind of the point that that you're making. Yeah, I think any pricing change you you need to you know there's there's a way you market it right. So if you're the, if you're Dunkin' Donuts and you're thinking about dynamically pricing your coffee, you better better have a good reason. Yeah. To explain to your consumers why that's better for them. I mean, when Prime, when Amazon raised the price of Prime recently, their messaging was very thoughtful. It was like, look, we're, we're you know, we've reduced shipping times. We've done all these things, and we need to we need to be able to pay. You know, we've added all this content, right? And so, um, at least they could justify it. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's not dynamic pricing, but it is. It is, you know, a pricing strategy a, change. A, a pricing change, right. And in the same sense, I mean, sort of the point that you made where, you know, I, I think that, that if more companies actually were active in sort of highlighting, like, the discount stuff, you know, like, you know, you talk about dynamic pricing for coffee rather than, than officially doing it as dynamic pricing for coffee. You started out with, like, hey, if you come in at 3 in the morning, you know, right. half-price cup or, or right. whatever, um, you know, you can sort of uh, get people used to the concept that way. Um, and, and then it does sort of come across as more fair across the board. Yeah, Absolutely. Anyways, uh, this is a really interesting conversation. You know, as I said, I've been sort of interested in this concept for like 20 years and sort of, um, you know, I, I, I sort of love the pure economics aspect of it, but also the sort of human psychology of it as well. And so that, that's sort of what I was was interested in, in talking about. And I think uh, I think we, we successfully <laughs> had, a, had a good conversation about that. So uh, once again, Alex is CEO and founder of a company called Perfect Price, which uh you know, it does this sort of uh, dynamic pricing AI for, for companies um, and obviously has lots of thoughts on this. So this was a, a really fun conversation. Alex, thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Mike. I had a blast. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back next week.